Hello, everyone. You're listening to Digital Builder, a podcast brought to you by Autodesk, made for construction professionals who want to hear from those on the forefront of construction technology. If you're looking for conversations centered around where the industry is going, this podcast is for you. Each episode will feature a conversation with a construction industry leader. Together, we'll dig in on themes related to connected construction and discuss where the future of the construction industry is headed. Now let's get started. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 10 of Digital Builder. I'm your host, Eric Thomas. This week on the show, we're going to discuss the wild world of building information modeling, more commonly referred to as BIM, focusing on the challenges with getting BIM adoption in different parts of the world. We'll also dig in on what the future of BIM looks like and how that will impact the industry. My hope is that during this discussion, we'll find some meaningful takeaways to help those that are struggling to bring BIM and other impactful construction technologies to their projects. With that said, my guests this week are Steve Rollo, National BIM VDC Manager at Graham Construction, and Ariel Castillo, the Strategic Process and VDC Specialist at Miller Davis Company. Ariel is also one of the hosts of the Shared Coordinates podcast, which is a great program that provides the Spanish-speaking world with industry-focused insights. Thanks for joining me on the show, guys. I'd like to start by learning more about the path each of you took getting into the construction world. Let's start with Ariel. Hello, Digital Builders. My name is Ariel Castillo. I'm glad to be part of the show today, and I'm also grateful to use this space to discuss BIM in Latin America. I'm originally from the Dominican Republic, however, I'm currently located in Kalamazoo, Michigan, where I work as a strategic process and VDC specialist for Miller Davis Company. Just to give you a little bit of background, Miller Davis is a full-service construction company that provides general contracting, construction management, and design-build services. They have been serving clients throughout the state of Michigan for over 110 years. My story when it comes to introducing myself into BIM goes all the way back when I started civil engineering. That's actually my background. And I also I only wanted to focus on project management. That's all I wanted to do. And I did a master's at Western Michigan University and my supervisor for my thesis, my advisor, she actually introduced me to technology. I couldn't understand anything that she was doing. I, I honestly, I didn't see the purpose of implementing technology in this industry. But little by little, she got me there and I could understand the benefits that it could provide. So I decided to switch my career totally into construction technology. And that's basically how I introduced myself into BIM. I also been focusing on basically serving as an evangelist for the Latin America community, because I think there's a lot of benefits that we can see in the industry. And I want to make sure that Latin America in general and the Spanish-speaking community can leverage this as well. I really appreciate the fact that you've you know put that platform together and are so passionate about bringing construction technology you know to the masses. Like I, I'm personally aware of a, a lot of English-speaking podcasts that that hit this market, so it's it's great to see a bit more diversity there. And my dad actually went to Western Michigan, and I lived just outside of Kalamazoo myself for about a year, which was before I you know entered the construction industry. But it kind of made me laugh when I heard that the uh, the world is quite small. So. Steve, do you want to let us hear a little bit about your background and how you got to this uh, spot in your career today? Sure. Thanks, Eric. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. So like, like you said, I'm Steve Rollo, National BIM VDC Manager at Graham Construction. 
We are a Canadian-based company with some offices in the U.S. as well. We are a general contractor performing in excess of $2 billion per year in buildings and industrial and infrastructure projects, like I said, all across Canada and into the U.S. My journey into technology, into construction, really started back, uh, I actually come from the Autodesk Reseller Channel for a number of years, back at the beginning of my career, providing frontline support and implementation services for design consultants and construction firms as well. I was also part of the group that started the first BIM 101 sessions in the construction associations across Canada. I have also worked with a number of design consultants, home builders, and I also acted as a freelance implementation specialist for a number of years prior to starting with Graham Construction. So as far as technology in construction is concerned, I really got an interest and focus a number of years ago on how it can impact the construction industry to optimize the, the work and, and, and the effort that the design consultants were putting into providing these models. How can that benefit downstream and, and leverage that data to better predict and utilize the intended design use for the facility, not only through construction, but into, into operation of the, of the building as well. So that's a little, little bit quick snippet about me. <laughs> Well, thanks for sharing, Steve. And it's always interesting to hear everybody's trajectory, you know, into the construction industry. My my journey was almost accidental since I exited college at the Great Recession. And I, I briefly worked for a, a medical instrumentation company before getting a job as a proposal coordinator for a, a large general contractor and admittedly had no idea what I was doing for, you know, probably the first six to eight months of my, my career as, you know, acronyms were, you know, spit out left and right against uh, what I was up to. And and then it finally clicked and I was able to, you know, jump in head first and it's, uh, it's been a great journey ever since. So as I mentioned earlier, the first segment of today's show will be discussing the challenges associated with BIM adoption and the positive impacts that the standard has had on the construction industry. And to get things going, let's step back for our listeners, for those that are not familiar with building information modeling and discuss what it is and the impact that it can have on a construction project. Steve, let's start with you. Can you take a shot at defining BIM for someone that's unfamiliar with the topic? Sure, and, and, and maybe I'll even take it a step further and I'll, I'll define both BIM as well as VDC or virtual design and construction. I think that this is a key thing to do to help separate where the two lie because they're two very commonly used terms these days in the industry and they often can get a little bit, bit, bit confused. So for me, uh, building information modeling or BIM you know, encompasses the entire project as it relates to the model and the informational data within the model. And then the virtual design and construction side is how that model is leveraged and data is gained, extracted and, and utilized from that, that particular model. So I always equate it to BIM is the what and VDC is the how. So BIM is the physical three-dimensional model with all the associated data and asset information attached to it. Virtual design and construction is how we leverage that data to accomplish the execution of the project. I love to hear that that explanation and, and that nice segmentation. And I appreciate you going into what VDC as well. I kind of glossed over it since, you know, the three of us on the conversation are, are familiar with it. And 
Ariel, I know you've worked on a number of construction projects in a variety of countries across Latin America from prior conversations that we've had. And you've got a lot of experience rolling construction technology out on all those different projects. Can you share a little bit about what that experience is like and how it relates to you know VDC implementation, BIM implementation, and just construction technology as a whole? Well, I'll be honest with you, it is a difficult task especially because of the industry. It poses a lot of challenges, and typically we face three of them. The first one is that most professionals, when they think about technology, and in this particular case, let's say BIM, they see it as a software. And this is normal, I guess, it's because typically the first time that they're introduced to BIM, it's most likely with a tool like Revit. And moving professionals away from that mindset is not that easy. The second thing is that construction companies, they're not used to invest, investing in technology it's often difficult to convince a contractor to invest money in something that they're not used to. They see this as an expense rather than as an opportunity to do business in a different way. And now if we take this into the Latin American context, keep in mind that the labor there is very inexpensive. So most companies, they can exercise the luxury of having idle manpower on site as it doesn't necessarily represent a major financial loss. And finally, the plug and play syndrome. Companies think BIM simply involves going to a vendor and acquiring a magic box and don't realize that all the moving parts involved in order to make it happen. It takes time for them to understand the BIM process and that it needs to be implemented. Now, I want to emphasize on something when we talk about Latin America is that we have, I mean, multiple countries there. So the region itself has over 20 countries and several territories. That being said, it's very typical for professionals to look up to United States and the UK to understand best practices, and then they take those and they adapt them into their own realities. I think this is a great area that's gonna keep moving forward, and I expect a unified approach since there's multiple programs that are being developed, uh, such as the BIM Network of Latin American Governments, and which is a entity that promotes regional collaboration, and then we also have other ones like BIM4 and LATAM and so on. I like what you shared there, and, and there's two nuances that really stuck out for me in, in, in your response. And the first one is the productivity conversation. And it makes sense that it's, it's not an apples-to-apples -apples comparison between you know, the United States or Canada or the United Kingdom, because like you said, that, that labor cost is, is so different. So like we talk all day long at Autodesk, and when I was still working for a couple GCs about, okay, how productive are we being? How are we leveraging our time and, and things along those lines? And I saw something similar when I was focused on some of the construction projects I worked on in the Middle East, where we would have a thousand people deployed to a project, where in the United States, it might've been a hundred. And the, the cost delta wasn't really of any importance because the labor cost was such a different factor. And then I, I also appreciate the fact that, you know, like the United States, for example, could be regional in the sense that the Midwest, you know, approaches things a bit differently than the West Coast does, but it's not, so different like it would be from country to country where like the baseline standards and, and protocols might be wildly different. And so you can't go to the, the table and go, okay, this is how it's going to be. And you're going to have to adhere to it because you, you haven't really listened to the circumstances on the ground when you showed up. So Steve, I'd, I'd really like to hear about your experience with BIM adoption in Canada and how that's been compared to, you know, what Ariel just shared with us. Yeah. So, I mean, first of all, I, I have to agree with and, and echo some of the struggles that Ariel identified there with a lot of people having that perception that to do BIM or or the fact that you 
so for lack of a better term are doing them is related to a specific software and that 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 really is a big misconception that a lot of people still have i find it is starting to go away a little bit but a lot of people think that it is strictly software related and that is the be all and end all of doing bim when that really isn't the case it's about a, an all-encompassing process i i find that back a number of years ago on that note of the misconception, a lot of people, because the name itself says building information modeling, it was related a lot to physical vertical buildings, literally, as opposed to the encompassing an entire project where we're dealing with site implications and site design and things of that nature as well. So a lot of people still have that misconception. And you know, we, we also struggle not only from having, having lack of countrywide standards or anything like that, but also it does change regionally as well as, uh, as I'm sure is going to be the case for the majority of the world. But again, like you just mentioned, not having that umbrella to start with can definitely be a challenge. It makes sense without having, you know, that, that directive where everybody has to adhere to a certain standard and for, you know, Canada is a large country, much like the United States, and so you can't necessarily apply an apples to apples, you know, blanket across the board. So I appreciate that insight. So now that we've got a, a better sense for, you know, some of those challenges and blockers, what can our listeners do to advocate successfully for leveraging BIM on their projects? And how does this change from stakeholder to, stakeholder to stakeholder? And what I mean by that is how should a project owner think about BIM compared to a general contractor or a specialty contractor? And I recognize there's two questions in there, Ariel. So feel free to start with whichever one uh, um, you feel comfortable with. <laughs> Actually, those are really good questions, Eric. First of all, I want to say something. Let's keep in mind that lack of understanding something goes back into the, the topic of education, which eventually translates into uh, resistance to change. And there's a big knowledge gap in the industry. And it's our job to make sure that we can try to reduce it. So let's focus on when you address the general contractors and specialty contractors. Let's keep in mind that on a decent sized job, those parties might be part of the construction project for two, three years. Nonetheless, the average lifespan of a modernist building, it's around 60 years. So if we put that in context, the design and construction budgets are just a fraction of what a building is going to cost throughout its life cycle when it comes to comparing the operations and maintenance expenses. And I think this is key when it comes to sitting down with our current and potential clients to discuss how BIM can improve facility management for their projects. Now, for example, here at Miller Davis, we have worked with uh, Western Michigan University and they, their campus has over 150 buildings. And a decade ago, they made the decision that they wanted to digitalize all the buildings and also any new capital projects that they have, BIM is a requirement. Now, by implementing BIM, they've been able to access files digitally and all the operations and maintenance data, it's available to them in a better way. So that has resulted in labor efficiency that it's about 7%, and they have estimated savings of over a half, half a million dollars per year. Now, this case study goes back into 2016. Imagine how much more efficient this has become as the staff has more knowledge, they, they train, they know how to use the tools. So, you know, it's safe to assume that this efficiency has increased over time. You make a really great point about just, you know, being an informed owner in particular. And, and I remember 
when I was still, you know, as a, serving as a proposal manager, the difference between requests for proposals that I would receive was was dramatic in the requirements that were placed in them. And some of them sometimes felt a little bit draconian as far as like, okay, like you need to do X, Y, Z and adhere to X, Y, Z and such. But, at, and it was frustrating from the perspective of the person managing the, the response because to be compliant, it was just very, very complicated. But, you know, now that I'm not in that seat and I'm able to look at it a little bit bigger picture, they were making the right decisions at that moment because they were ensuring from the start of the conversation that they were getting the data and the information that at that time they felt necessary. And they've set it up in a way that essentially it's contractually obligated for them to turn it over instead of, you know, mystery data silos and manual transcription losing, you know, half of your project data as you move from phase to phase to phase of construction or, you know, operations. So, I appreciate that example there. Steve, do you have any thoughts there from your perspective in the industry? I, I, I think the nail has been hit on the head there. It, it really is a, a lack of, not lack of or, or misinformation and, and, and knowledge base that's, that's in the industry right now. I find a lot of a lot of times what's happening is you know you hear about something that you know more specifically Europe has has been doing from a standpoint of facilities management or operations or anything like that and owners that maybe don't know a lot about it just see the success there from a business perspective not really understanding what it takes to actually execute it or have that as deliverable and they talk about that they bring it forward in in RP without understanding the magnitude and therefore, when numbers get put forward on the cost to actually provide that service, then it ends up getting backed off. They, they shy away from it because they see that the risk is maybe a little bit too high uh, compared to what they're willing to set foot on. From a specialty contractor standpoint, I think what it comes down to is it comes down to a resourcing thing, at least what we find here in Canada. Lots of our specialty contractors are not very big, so they they have a very small resource pool and therefore they have their skill sets very fine-tuned and not very expansive into the growing technology side at this stage. That is slowly shifting though that, that we're starting to see, but I find that that is definitely a, a factor as well as the, the available resources to physically execute the, the contracts and, and the tasks. And you raise a really good point there as far as just that resourcing availability, because even a smaller general contractor doesn't necessarily have the, the might to put aside a budget to, you know, say, surprise, we're going to put together this, you know, crack VDC team and we're going to implement all this stuff and leverage all these construction technology tools. And a lot of them do it, you know, in some capacity, but it's really hard to put a, a full-time employee against that as their main job when their main focus is building. And I am thankful for the fact that we've, you know, really es escalated the digitization in the last year in particular, because I think it's kind of even the playing field there simply because it was a necessity. But it's also just really important to acknowledge that not everybody gets to come to the table with that same, you know, resourcing as say a, a billion dollar general contractor who is just going to go, we're going to do everything because we can and we're, you know, leading the market versus, you know, some of the other ones who go, okay, like prove that for me. Thank you so much for doing it. And now that I've seen it successful, now I can, you know, implement it on my jobs after I've, I've you know, seen it's kind of rolled out from there. 
you also mentioned something about Europe, and I'd like to talk a little bit about that, or at least get your perspective. And I know, like between the three of us, we cover the uh, the entirety of the Americas to some degree, I guess, with Canada, the United States, and then uh, Latin America. But I've been told that BIM adoption in many European countries has been very successful and is widespread. What have they done differently in those regions that have really empowered people to jump on the BIM bandwagon versus some of the other regions we've talked about already? I think one of the big things uh, that we kind of already touched on a little bit here is that overlying governance is definitely one of the biggest factors. You know, uh, from my understanding in, in, those, in the European countries, there is a governmental mandate that, that drives some of these uh, or that drives all these projects. And when, when you put people in a position to have the option to, to do it one way or another, they're always going to revert to what they know best or what they feel is the most successful. When you have something, for lack of a better term, forced upon them, I, I hate using that term, but when, when they have something governing the way that they have to do and perform their work, that definitely helps steam head adoption in in whatever technology we're talking about it doesn't even have to be in construction but especially in construction when you when, when you force someone's hand or push someone's hand that they don't have a choice that is going to inherently just organically grow the adoption through that that industry and that group everyone's going to revert to their the the path of least resistance and that will always inherently be what you're used to and so if you if you aren't forced to change you're not going to I would like to add something, Eric, because I think it's a combination of multiple factors. I totally agree with what Steve is saying about the government intervention. But I also think that the culture and standards, they also play a role there, especially the, the culture piece. Because, again, like I mentioned, what works in Europe might not work in Latin America. So that's something that we have to consider uh, when it comes to standards. OK, so even the standards that another country might have might not work for a particular country. And then we have to make adjustments. We have to find find ways to make it work. Now, for Latin America, most of the countries don't have a standard and the government's not even requiring it. So just like Steve said, most of the companies are gonna take the path of less resistance. However, when it comes to culture, I think that if there's a reason why we're doing it or how we operate, that could definitely change things. And that really does come back into the, the education conversation is just making sure that all of your stakeholders really truly understand, understand the benefit of what you're up to. Like you can have the greatest idea in the history of the world to bring to your team, but if they don't feel like they were at least in some fashion a participant in the conversation that brought them to that point of adoption, you're still going to get some pushback at the end of the day. And so, you know, making sure you build that culture of adoption and innovation and having some really intentional conversations about things along those lines can really go a long way to, you know, reducing that resistance, even if there's not a, you know, a governmental mandate into adopting whatever technology you're talking about. And if our listeners haven't heard a few episodes back. We talked to Jen Seworth and Kara Wolzinski about innovation and construction specifically. It's a great episode to jump into to really unpack how you can facilitate that at your team, especially with you know the differing levels of resourcing that we were talking about earlier to make sure that you know you get that adoption and you know everybody feels comfortable as they go along for the ride. So I'd like to pivot to the second segment of our show, which is more focused on the future 
when it comes to BIM adoption globally. I think that the pandemic has been a bit of a catalyst for construction technology adoption in the last year, but I'd like to think about what that means for the future of BIM specifically. And during the last recession, a lot of research shows that there was a measurable uptick in BIM adoption globally. And knowing that, I think it'll be really interesting to see where the construction industry stands from a tech adoption perspective at the end of 2021. So if we grab our crystal ball here, and I know this is all hypothetical, like where do you think global BIM adoption will be in five years or, or maybe 10? And Ariel, how about we start with you on this one? Well, it's not hypothetical, Eric. I'm going to grab my crystal ball right now. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I'm kidding. So you, you got to love these questions. This is the typical, uh, where do you see yourselves in five or 10 years, man? <laughs> but um, before answering this question, I want to highlight that, highlight that back in 1997, Clayton Christensen wrote a, one of my favorite books. It's called The Innovator's Dilemma. And one of the key takeaways that he, we have in that book is that value to innovation is an S-curve, which means that improving a product takes time and many iterations. The first of these iterations don't provide much value but in time, the base is created and the value increases exponentially. So let's go back to the five-year question there. And let's forget about the innovators and the early adopters. I do believe companies will recognize the need, whether it's an internal decision or market-driven. But not to be pessimistic, I just want to be realistic. It's still going to be an uphill battle. I'm going to circle back into the challenges and barriers that we have discussed. And even if some companies decide to take a leap of faith and go for it, the resistance to change and just the nature of innovation will take multiple years to pay off. So this takes us to the 10-year prediction, where I think BIM is no, it's no longer going to be a fancy term. It might even disappear as the process just becomes the norm. Companies will be expected to use digital tools throughout their day-to-day -day activities. And just to put an example, something like class detection is just going to be the normal way of coordinating tech activities. To echo what, what Ariel just said, I, I totally agree. And one thing that I'll add to it is on the notion of BIM and, and even potentially VDC kind of disappearing as a standard term, I, I completely 100% agree with that. And in fact, I see a shift already starting with that because now we're starting to, as I was almost talking uh, in the last segment, that a lot of there is a lot of misconception because the term is building information modeling, they're thinking about just the structure not everything else that might encompass the project. And there's now this notion of digital project delivery, which is really starting to become a term up here in Canada that is starting to gain a little bit of traction in the notion that there's a lot more to it than just the virtual models now uh, when it comes to technology that, that all play together. So we, we have to be a little bit more expansive on that. And so the, the, the you know, this idea of the, of possibly changing the term or the terminology, uh, I definitely can see that uh, in the next five to 10 years, we're going to refer to BIM and VDC almost as this is what it was. And now this is what it is, as opposed to continuing that term. I, I can definitely see that with that. I think if if something like that starts to become a little bit more expansive and as more traction in the Americas happens with some of the the results that that like we've talked the European countries are seeing by standardization and mandates and everything like that as that starts to grow a little more globally i think that's going to have exponential impacts on on the industry globally 
I think you're absolutely right. And and I know I said we were talking about the future now, but I think the last year in particular does have a lot of tie-in to like where we're sitting today as an industry. And so anecdotally, I'd really like to hear like as far as pandemic-inspired industry changes go, like what have you guys been seeing in the last year regarding construction tech adoption in the last 12 months? Like I, I'd, I'd love like uh, one year ago we saw X and you know today we see Y and, and what's changed. So I mean from, from my end up here in, in Canada, it's definitely been, as I think you even mentioned, a catalyst to some of these uh, this adoption because we were put in a position and a lot of especially on site uh, i would say the field guys were probably one of the most impacted by this in growing their adoption of different technologies and different tools because they didn't have an option anymore this is this was the way we had to work to continue working on these these projects and i think that has and we've seen an, a great success with it too and I think what has happened is that almost fear of change and fear of adoption has started to dissipate because they see that, hey, wait a minute, this isn't as difficult to embrace and this is adding X number of efficiency to my day or to my job that they're now switching the gears to being more open to other potential changes. I think last year was really interesting and actually, the AGC has a BIM program. Oh, and, and for the folks outside of the U.S., it's the Associated General Contractors. And one of the adoption models that we typically discuss is the BIM Big Band approach. And we're moving to a new system doesn't account for like a migration period. And basically, you must quickly adapt if you want to survive. And at Miller Davis, we faced a lot of new challenges because we needed to keep the company running. And we were basically forced to go back to the drawing board and revisit some of our workflows. And obviously, we will have wanted to do this at our own pace. But if you think about it, this was actually a catalyst like, like no other. And we started embracing technology that we had for years, but we weren't using to its full extent. Something simple as Office and Microsoft Teams. And now, meeting virtually is just second nature. But also, we needed to keep doing business. And a critical piece of it is signatures. So we explored digital signatures. And in the past six months, we have finalized over 500 contract documents without a single wet signature. And on top of that, which is I think is the most interesting part, is that we have been able to reduce the execution time to less than a week versus an average of three to four weeks when we're using traditional paper. Now, we also transitioned into digital bids by implementing Building Connected company-wide. And so far, we have bid over 20 projects and received over 350 electronic bids. And we contacted ourselves just to get their perspective and what they think. And 90% of them, they say that they prefer virtual bids because it's, you know, saves time and also money for everybody. So, and I could go on and on, but I know we need to keep the show going. But I, I just think that it's been a great year if you wanted to uh, change. I like that digitization piece. And uh, if I put my proposal manager hat back on again, and I look where I was sitting, you know, three, four, five years ago, I really wish that the, the bid and proposal process had been more digitized at that particular moment. 
simply because it was is always just a, a frantic sprint to the finish at the end because to compare bids in particular on an apples to apples basis across the board from all the different subcontractors that were bidding on projects for our precon and VDC or our, our estimating teams it was it was a nightmare because you don't always get things back in the same format they may not have interpreted the conditions the same way and so for me to get the final numbers that I would you know at the end of the the finish line, you know, shoehorn in the proposal and press send at the end of the day it was much more stressful than it necessarily needed to be. But it was is a result of the dysfunction of the way the the system worked more so than you know people's unwillingness or disinterest in uh, in being more efficient. So I'm I'm happy to hear that you know a lot more organizations are are getting a bit further along on that journey. And I, I'm just happy too. When I started proposal management, I was working for a federal contractor, and so it was all paper bids 100% of the time. And they would basically say, we need you to print out 14 binders of documentation and we need six copies of it. And it needs to be hand delivered by 10 a.m. on a Tuesday where everybody's on holiday. And if you're a minute late, you know you don't win the $200 million bid. And from what my friends who are still doing federal AEC bidding have shared, that's starting to become a bit less common now. And I'm just hopeful for their sake that, uh, that it does um, transition in a, in a more rapid pace. Ariel, I have one more question for you before we kind of move on to the next thing. Do you have any sense for how your former colleagues in Latin America are feeling about this potential forced digital transformation over the last year? I know you're you're based in Michigan now, but you do have a lot of conversations in about that geo. And so I'd I'd be interested in hearing, you know, how how the last year has shook out down there. Well, I will say not only Latin America, but again, globally, we were all forced to change. And for the folks that are very passionate about BIM and technology, this was actually a big deal. Being able to showcase what they can actually do and how they do it. And all, and this allows all this uh, leadership that probably is not interested in implementing technology to understand that there's a way to do things a different way. So they're really happy about it. And I've seen many companies that they are embracing tech, that they have added a budget for technology and i think this is all related to just giving them the opportunity even though it was forced but giving them the opportunity to try different things and to show what they can achieve with that i think that's one of the positives that's really come out of the last year like not not to dismiss the the challenges we've had as a, a globe and you know the human impact that that we've had but as far as a, a technology adoption goes specifically to the construction industry but also I think just across the board, as far as how we approach, you know, working environments and how we get work done, it's it's been a, a very intentional moment where everybody's had to step back for a second and go, like, do we really need to be on site for that? Can that be handled remotely? And it also increases access at the end of the day. And, and I talk about this probably more often than I should, but like, for example, Autodesk University this last year ended up being a free event that was available to anybody who felt so inclined. And the amount of engagement that we had with that program this year was tremendous. And so the, the learning takeaway opportunities there are you know, just fantastic. And I'm, I, I'd be surprised if a lot of companies aren't, uh, aren't embracing this in some capacity simply because they've realized that it's, it's just increased that access in a meaningful way where you get to engage with customers and industry peers in a in a really great fashion. And, you know, at, at the end of the conversation, we've all had a chance to learn something. So as we look to the future of BIM and, and possibly other construction technology as well, 
do you guys see any challenges that we haven't addressed yet? And one that really comes to mind for me is how we address the, the difference in standards from country to country when collaborating on a global perspective. But I'd, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that and any other things that might be coming up. But I, I couldn't imagine being a, a global GC and trying to, you know, build something that spans borders and trying to, you know, bring the government standards from one country to another together at the same time in a way that, you know, wasn't a confusing mess for all the stakeholders on a project? Well, when it comes to challenges, I think we have mentioned most of them. Again, circling back to education, but one piece of it that relates to what you mentioned about Autodesk University and all these digital events is digital content creation or content in general. We want to make sure that we can have access, showcase different uh, projects, and so people can learn through that. It doesn't have to be a book, even a podcast like this one or the one that we have allows a lot of the professionals to gather information on how they are going to act in the future. So I think that is critical. And then the second thing, when we talk about different standards from country to country, it's difficult to say that we're going to have one specific BIM standard. That's almost impossible. I mean, if you think about, we've been using CAD for many, many decades, and there's so many different ways to work. However, there's a lot of efforts that we are seeing there, for example, with the International Standard Organization, the ISO 19650, that's a really good effort that we could be potentially uh, implementing and just having general knowledge of how it works will allow you to be able to jump into a project that potentially is using it. Now, when it comes to Latin America, Chile, which is the country that's pretty much leading uh, this movement, they were advised by the UK. And the UK is basically embracing this standard. And since Chile now is leading this uh, movement, all the countries that are getting advised by Chile are also taking that standard as well. So you can see how that, uh, you know, it's like a domino effect and how it will affect moving forward. Now, I know this is only for government projects right now, and when it comes to the private sector, it might be a little bit different, but we can definitely look at what others are doing and try to find something that's similar and obviously making sure that it works for everybody. But instead of creating, you know, like a new will, let's just basically take what's already there and then just adapt and make it better. I like that because you've got the, even, even though it's a government driven thing and it doesn't hit the private sector, there is an opportunity for people to see that case study in a bit more of a close-up lens now where they go, okay, like they built this, you know, government mandated building, whatever that might be. And there were so many learnings for it. And one thing I do appreciate about the construction industry is, is people are really willing to share, you know, knowledge and information. And so it's just a, an opportunity to learn more and, you know, be better as an industry. So uh, I'm, I'm really happy to hear that that's, you know, been an effective rollout in, in parts of Latin America. So that's great. Steve, do you have any thoughts there? Yeah, again, totally agree with what Ariel's saying there. The one thing that I'll maybe add to it, I think one of the biggest challenges, at least that I'm I'm finding up here in Canada, alongside of, of what Ariel spoke about, is the speed and timing of how technology is growing and adapting. This is a big, huge factor that throws a big wrench into what what would be effectively a global standard when you have so many different technologies and tools and softwares available that are kind of in that same bubble or same umbrella of the same task that it's executing 
you run you run the issue of compliance from different project to different project, different owner to different owner, and even to different projects because maybe there an owner requires a, a, a certain standard in one project, but it's a completely different one from a different owner. So that definitely the speed in which that that change is happening definitely makes it challenging for that level of adoption, not only at the company level, but uh, I, I couldn't even imagine how challenging that is for those that are trying to push in and, and, and implement what, what they're thinking of as a global standard, because that then part of that turns into a standardization of tools that are being used inside of a toolkit. I think it's safe to say the three of us are at least a little bit nerdy when it comes to construction technology, considering we're on a, a podcast speaking specifically to that topic. So before we move into our you know closing segment of the show, could you tell me what other construction tech has you excited right now? Like what, what are you really nerding on about at this particular moment? How about you start with this one, Ariel? Well, I would say there's two things that I'm really looking forward to. Uh, one of them is prefabrication. I think this is totally going to change the way that we work. I want us to be able to reduce the amount of time that we spend on site and all these issues that show up on, on site. Now think about China where they've been able to build buildings in a couple of days. That sounds crazy, I know, but I think it's possible and it's all thanks to um, prefabrication. And also let's never forget the amount of time and effort that we are moving into the pre-construction phase. But this is obviously going to make it run smoother when it comes into construction. And obviously your superintendents and everybody on the field, owners, they're going to be grateful that it's probably not going to go over budget. It's not going to go past the time frame that they expected the job to be done just because we might be able to identify all these issues in advance. And then when it comes to artificial intelligence, I mean, I'm really excited to think about what the computers can do for us. And those repetitive, repetitive tasks that we do on a daily basis, maybe the computer can handle those and we can use our time to actually input value into projects. Making sure that our time is used the best way to identify uh, potential issues and find solutions instead of just renaming files, tagging and different things like that. I like both the things you shared there, and I feel like the last year in particular has has kind of redirected some more attention towards prefab in particular. Not that it's a new thing for our industry, but people were a bit more interested in having that conversation simply because it was reducing people from being on the job site and it was allowing them to do some of the building in a more controlled environment. And when COVID protocols are such an important you know, factor, that's, you know, that's king at the end of the day. So I'm really hoping that we trend that way. And we actually have somebody on our, our team at Autodesk, Amy Marks, who is like an evangelist for prefabrication. And she's really on the mark for you know, the future of what that's going to look like. In the second piece there, machine learning is something we all have to embrace. And I think educating people about the importance of that and how it positively impacts construction teams and isn't a scary thing, especially with the labor shortages that we're experiencing in the industry. I think it's it's going to be an interesting thing and really exciting to see how it rolls out. So Steve, what, uh, what are you learning about these days as far as construction technology goes? I'd love to hear about it. Yeah, so I, I echo the prefabrication side. I mean, anything that adds efficiency to me, one thing that I'll, I'll, I'll expand on that. One thing that uh, I've seen happening a little bit more, especially here in Alberta, is this idea of modular construction for vertical construction, 
Whereas opposed to just using uh, modular design and buildings for camps for industrial type projects or anything like that, we're seeing an, a little bit of an uptick in that prefabrication and merging the manufacturing side of that business into vertical construction for high rises, homes, all that stuff. So I'm excited about that. Autodesk Tandem that was introduced at Autodesk University. I'm, I'm, I'm really excited to see how that increases the efficacy of this idea of digital twins and the amount of data that can be preemptively, and this kind of ties in with the AI side that Ariel was speaking on as well, to have that really almost perfect model that literally, even more so than we have been, we've gotten to build the project twice, once digitally and then once in the field. And and moving to that true digital twin uh, is is something that I'm, I'm really uh, keeping my finger on the pulse to watch for. I think you're, you're absolutely right there. And I'm, I'm equally excited about that. So look for a future episode with some of the, the tandem team, actually. It's not on the calendar yet, but I'm, uh, I'm starting to poke them because I, I'd really like to have a conversation with them and, and learn a little bit more about their trajectory there because you're, you're absolutely right. The, the conversation around Digital Twin is really you know, spun up. And like even just from an owner perspective of being able to say, I know exactly what's in my building and have all that information to make actionable decisions through the course of the you know life cycle of that building is just becoming more and more meaningful and like Ariel said earlier like a building's life is like 60 plus years and to not have that information on day one where you can very easily you know go out and maintain and support the facility is is just a it's a problem to say the least so I'm, I'm equally excited there so I've got one more question for each of you before we end this week's episode. And I ask everybody this question, and I really enjoy seeing how every guest approaches it. So can you tell me what is one tool that you will always carry in your toolbox, no matter what project you're working on? And Steve, I'd love it if you could kick us off here on this one. So, <laughs> I mean, I, I know 90% of people probably have said their phones and everything like that, but I'll even take it one step further. I'll go with a, with, with a tablet you know, being able to have every, all, all your data and all your information at your fingertips on a, on a, a very easily readable screen. That's where the, I, I won't say the phone, I'll say a tablet is I think key, especially when you're working on a very large footprint site that can save countless, literally hours. We did a tracking on one of our jobs and it saved hours and hours of going back and forth to the site trailer for, for data and information. So having some form of digital connection to the data of the project is something that uh, I'll always have on me, whether that's phone, tablet, whatever the case is. I appreciate your answer there simply because I also feel like the, the iPad in particular was a catalyst in construction technology that kind of created this hockey stick trajectory in, in you know, startups that were embracing new ways of working. And it was actually my entry point into Autodesk because uh, I, I was working with PlanGrid before that acquisition. And I'm just so excited to see you know, the unification of all these products and the, the creation of more robust workflows. And I, I'm not going to plug ACC products here. That's not uh, not my job today, but I, I am excited about it and I share your enthusiasm. So Ariel, how about you? What's, uh, what's your one tool that you're going to carry on all the projects you're working on? I get a laugh, man, because this is going to sound super counterintuitive for a tech talk, but I always <laughs> need a pen. I, I That's it. I need a pen. I need to be able to get my creativity going. And the way I do that is by doing some scribbles or just starting to write some notes. And the funny thing is that I might never look at those notes ever again, 
but I just needed to get my creativity and brainstorming session going. So I'm going to go with pen. <laughs> I appreciate that. You know, you're getting your mind map going. Have you, have you thought about getting an iPad Pro that's got the, I think it's the Pro that has the pen attached to it so you can digitize your, uh, your drawings and writing stuff down too? I tried, but there's something about feeling the feel when you put the ink into a paper. <laughs> so <laughs> that's what I do. And again, like I said, it's not like I need those notes later on. It's just what gets my, you know, creativity going. <laughs> yeah, it gets things started. I, I understand completely. I, I don't do much on paper anymore. I think my, my extent is personal to-do lists, but I've, I've even digitized my, you know, my work to-do lists in a, in a board that helps me get organized. But having everything you know, written down and, and starting that journey is, is definitely where it's at. So I, I like that. So do either of you have anything that you'd like to plug that our listeners should know about? Well, before we leave and as a closing comment, I want to say that we should be thinking always about the word culture. A year ago, uh, my position is something that did not exist in the company. And actually, some colleagues might not even understand what I do on a day-to-day. But the fact that leadership recognizes the need for it, for it, that's what matters. And I bet there's many professionals out there that feel the same. And keep in mind that we're pushing for a change and it will take time. So please stay hungry for knowledge. Keep looking for ways to disrupt the market. And last but not least, be mindful that our industry is experiencing both a generational and cultural shift. And this will require, require a lot of communication skills. So sit down, have professional debates about different topics, and try to understand the why. It will help you down the road. Great. Well, thank you for sharing that. Steve, do you have anything that you'd like to, uh, to share with our listeners? Yeah, just, you know, like Ariel said, keep learning, keep keep your mind open to the possibilities that are out there and, and, and be embracing of the change. I'll also be hosting a digital webinar through my company, Graham, that is going to be held in within the next month or so here. I don't have an exact date, but it's specifically around digitization and construction that I'll be co-hosting with uh, my VP of IT within the company. So uh, watch watch for that. That's great. And if you send me the URL for that, I can include it in the show notes for our listeners too, so they can find it. So absolutely. if our listeners have any questions, can you share how they can connect with you? Steve, how about you go first? So you can, you can find me on LinkedIn, uh, Steve Rolo, Rolo spelled with two L's, not, not just like the chocolate bar as everyone sometimes mistakenly finds me, <laughs> but this is that, in that same place, you will, I'll be posting the webinar link as well. Once, uh, once we have that released, you can also reach out to me uh, via work email, steve.rolo at graham.ca and, uh, be happy to connect with people. Great. Thank you. And Ariel, how about you? What's the best way for our listeners to reach out if you've got any questions? So it will be amazing to get in touch with your listeners. I try to be pretty active on social media and you can find me on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram as BIM Nomad. Or you can send me an email at ariel at bimnomad.com. Also, if you speak Spanish, you should sign up for our newsletter on bimnomad.com and listen to our podcast, Short Coordinates. And last but not least, I want to say thank you to all the staff that work at Autodesk and Digital Builder for making this podcast available to the masses. I appreciate that, man. And I'm so glad that you were both able to join me. I feel like I've learned a decent amount about, you know, BIM adoption over the course of our discussions. So, you know, thanks for sharing your insights. And if I have any other questions, I'll, uh, I'll be sure to reach out. So 
Everybody out there listening, thanks for taking the time to join us on this episode of Digital Builder. As always, if you want to reach out with any questions or would like to be a guest on an episode, you can find me on LinkedIn or via Twitter at builder underscore digital. We also just recently launched the Digital Builder homepage. So if you go to construction.autodesk.com forward slash podcast, you'll find a, uh, a landing page that has my head plastered across the top of it with a form that you can sign up for our newsletter. And also there's a couple of videos there. So if you want to get to know me a little bit better, that's a great opportunity there. Uh, and don't hesitate to reach out. I do enjoy hearing from our listeners. And so also please like, subscribe to, or share the episode if you enjoyed it. It does really help me out on the back end. So I'd appreciate it. And on that final note, goodbye. You've been listening to Digital Builder. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you're listening with Apple Podcasts, we'd love for you to give a quick rating of the show. Simply tap the number of stars you think the podcast deserves, and then you're done. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.